Well, just in case you needed reminded, right? Um, wow, we could. There's these moments right before you get up to preach, um, and you're thinking maybe I should change it up to go with what the choir just sang. But I think it's perfect because it ties in beautifully with what I want to challenge us with this morning. This idea that the church is going to stand. Um, but I think the question for us this morning is, you know, are we going to be a part of the church that stands? Uh, we don't have to sit idly by, but we have a bold faith, uh, armed with a bold faith to move forward. So thank you, Steve. Appreciate you and the choir. It's fantastic. I thought about reading a very long biography uh, to go with what Steve was saying earlier, but I don't know that I have time for that. All right. We'll take a break this morning um, from the Psalms, and I want to look at one of, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. My wife reminded me, uh, I, don't, I don't teach from the Old Testament enough, and so here we go, uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 14. It's a story of, of grit, it's a story of determination, it's really a guy's story. It's a story of war, uh, there's killing involved. Um, but in all of this, we see it's also, and mo probably most importantly, a story of faith. It's a story situated in the middle of a, a, a frustrating narrative that shows us the weakness of man, but the sovereignty and the strength of God is on full display through every single verse of this passage. We'll see here in 1 Samuel 14 that the nation of Israel is really in a pickle. They find themselves in a, or themselves in a, in a really tough spot. They're up against the Philistines and it doesn't look too promising. Matthew Henry, as he's commenting on 1 Samuel 14, writes this. And listen to these words. He says, We left the host of Israel in a very ill posture. In the close of the foregoing chapter, chapter 13, we saw, them, we saw in them no wisdom, nor strength, nor goodness to give us ground to expect any other than that they should all be cut off by the army of the Philistines. Are you getting the picture? Things look grim for the nation of Israel. Matthew Henry says they have given us, they have given us nothing, nothing to put our hope in. Things aren't looking good. Yet here we have that infinite power, he goes on, which works without means, and that infinite goodness which gives without merit, glorified in a happy turn to their affairs, that still Samuel's words may be made good. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. I think that sums up chapter 14 better than anything that I read this week. As I've studied this week, I found two words that have been used to describe chapter 14, and really the book of 1 Samuel, and those are the words tragedy and triumph. We see tragedy and we see triumph woven throughout this book. And we'll see it in the nation of Israel as we study it this morning. So with that in mind, let's read together. 1 Samuel chapter 14, we'll just go through verse 14. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. 
And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, I knew that was going to happen, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, and the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozaz, and the name of the other was Sina. The one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash, and the other on the south opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And if you write in your Bible, you highlight your Bible, you, you take notes in your Bible, do this. Underline, highlight, bold, whatever you need to do. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and I am here with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we'll cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we'll stand in our place and we won't go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, and we'll go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be a sign to us. When both men revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor-bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer put some to death after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men within about half a furrow and an acre of land. I love the story. I love the story. It's a story of initiative. It's a story of faith. But then we see in that the story of, of, of weakness and strength, and we see a great story of victory. We know that the Israelites are in, in, a, in a tough spot. We know they're vastly outnumbered. We see in our text that they are outnumbered just in this specific spot, 20 to 2. There is Jonathan and there is his, there is his armor bearer. That's it. Across the ravine, on the other side of a crag, there is an outpost of at least 20 men. Jonathan realizes something needs to be done. Jonathan understood the situation that faced the Israelites. And he said, let's go. I love what he says. He says, perhaps God will show up. Perhaps if we do this, God will show up and he'll do what only he can do. He finds a very strategic point, but the Bible gives us very, very specific places, the names of the two crags. He, 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 he goes down, he climbs across and up, and he kills 20 men, he and his armor bearer, and we'll see later on what God does with the rest. Jonathan put on full display a bold faith. I want to consider this morning the premise that even in our weakness, even in our weakness, we serve a strong God. The desires for us to pursue Him and His plan for our life, and so let's, let's individualize this. We serve a strong God that desires for us to pursue Him and our life individually 
but also corporately as his church in our lives together through a victorious faith. And so you'll see in your outline a, a faith that works. A victorious faith, a faith that works. In order to do so, I'd like to consider first the weakness of man. It's a simple thought, but I think every time you highlight God and man in a story, it's important to label who is who, right? We know that man is weak and God is strong, and the best way to do so in this text, I think, is to highlight the weaknesses in some of the, some of the people that we see in the text. And let's start with Saul, King Saul. The first time we see King Saul in chapter 14, as seated underneath a pomegranate tree. The nation is at war. Things don't look good. Jonathan, in his boldness, is, is ready to move. But we see Saul situated in a different spot, in the shade, under a pomegranate tree. And I don't think it's a stretch to say perhaps one of the weaknesses that Saul had on display just in chapter 14 was complacency. He was complacent. Things didn't look good. Matter of fact, it looked pretty grim. And here's Saul, the king, seated with a priest in the shade. But we don't have to look very far, either backwards or forwards, to see something else that was going on in Saul's life. In chapter 13, we see that Saul had offered a burnt offering against the commands of God and the advice of Samuel. That wasn't going well for Saul. In chapter 15, Saul builds a monument to himself, oh, by the way, celebrating the victory that was begun by Jonathan and his armor bearer. He builds a monument to himself, and he's confronted by Samuel, whose words are given by God. And later we'll read that Saul is disqualified as king, which eventually sets up a succession plan for David to come in and rule. I think we need to understand that complacency and disobedience will quickly undermine the work of God. Complacency and disobedience. In, in, in our weakness, let us guard against complacency and disobedience so that we do not undermine the work of God and in doing so, remove ourselves as a resource for God. That's exactly what Saul did. So perhaps the weakness of Saul, just specifically here, complacency and disobedience. But then we look at Jonathan. Let's consider Jonathan just for a second, not very long. Well, Philip, what's Jonathan's weakness? Didn't you just, I mean, he just, he just did a thing, right? Maybe, maybe we can look at Jonathan and say that his weakness was his position. His position. Now certainly he didn't see it as such. But I think sometimes weakness doesn't always have to be a sinful action or a character flaw. It could be perceived in position. Jonathan was not king. He was the son of the king. He was not in charge of all. He was in charge of a few. And I wonder if sometimes we, just, we say that we're weak because of the position that we find ourselves in. We feel like we're not qualified because of the position that we have, and yet we see in this text that, that couldn't be further from the truth. And we'll see why in just a few minutes. We go on and we look at the Philistine garrison. It's easy to find flaws in the Philistines, right? They're the bad guys. But what was the big weakness for the Philistines here 
in this text where we can look and we can say their weakness was pride. And rightfully so. They outnumbered the Israelites overall. But in this instance, just from this outpost, they outnumbered them 20 to 2. They'd experienced victory so much so that the Israelites had resorted to hiding. Look at verse 11. They say to these two, behold, they, they're, they're kind of camping out, watching and seeing what's happening. They see two Hebrews coming out, and he says, behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. You go back in chapter 13 and look at verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. There were 30,000 chariots in the Philistine army. 6,000 horsemen and people as much as the sand, Scripture says. So no wonder the Hebrews were hiding out in caves and thickets and cellars and in pits. No wonder the Philistines were so uh, thrilled with their position, perhaps leaning on pride a little bit too much. On paper, the Philistines clearly had the upper hand, and there really wasn't any need to worry about these two men because most commentaries say that they would have looked at these two men and thought, these are just deserters. And they think that it probably would be better for them to be a prisoner of war or hanging out with us in our camp rather than in a cave or in a thicket or in a cellar or in a pit. And so, you know, they, they pose no threat to us. The weakness of man is contrasted with the strength of God. We look at the strength of God in point two of your outline. And I think it's so very important for us to remember that God uses the ordinary. Two ordinary Hebrews. One with a little bit of initiative, with a bold faith. Jonathan and his armor bearer climb hand and foot down the steep crag, cross over and climb up another to get to the point where their faith was leading. And how do we know, we, how can we say their faith was leading? Because Jonathan said, hey, come on and let's do this. The armor bearer holding the sword and whatever else says, okay, I'm there. Wherever you turn, I'm with you. Did the armor bearer have any more information than Jonathan had? Certainly not. Did Jonathan have all the information that he needed? Certainly not. So they climb down, cross over, and climb up to the spot where their faith was leading them. One commentator says this, This action, viewed in itself, was rash and contrary to all established rules of military discipline. I love that. Which do not permit soldiers to fight or to undertake any enterprise that may involve important consequences without the order of generals. It would have been easy, I think, for Jonathan to, when he got to the crag, and we know he had scouted it out, he would figured out this was a strategic spot, but even when he gets there, to look back at his armor bearer and say, this is a little too treacherous. Like, I, I, know, I know that God can do it, right? But it just looks a little too dangerous from this vantage point. As I thought about that this week, I thought, don't, don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing as, as, as the church, or maybe it's just me, 
You know, I, I know God can do it. And, I, and no one's really going to argue with me within the church because we all know that God is big and he's sovereign and he's good and he's faithful. and he's, We all know that. I know God can do it. But it just looks a little too dangerous. It's a little, the risk is a little too great. Or the cost is a little too much. Or the outcome is unknown. And all the while, as we're coming up with these excuses, again, I hate to, maybe it's just me, all the while, it's, you know what I'm saying? My faith is just not big enough. It's just too small. But Jonathan didn't, obviously, in this situation. Here's what Jonathan understood. He knew the battle was God's. He knew that. And we know that. He knew the battle was God's. But he also knew that God was going to use him in battle. He understood that it was time for a little bit of uh, sweat equity. Right? That there would be work involved in this transaction. And we see that he did so without the understanding or the knowledge or even the permission or blessing of his father in verse 1. Come, let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And I think there's, there's a, a, some very interesting application here, and it's simple. Let me explain by using myself as an example. I, 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 am, I am one that is quick to rely on the wisdom of man. I am one that is quick to seek out uh, counsel and wisdom through a network or through friends or, or whatever. I, I, have, I have a great support group of pastors. And one of them is, is sitting right here. I saw him this morning. Dave Robinson, a great friend of mine, a mentor, and, uh, and a very, very patient man. When I was in Wagner for four years pastoring, I can't tell you how many times he reached out to me or I would call him. My father-in-law is another great one. I would call him and say, I don't know what to do. I need you to help. I can't figure this out. I, 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 I am, I am, that may be a strength of mine to, to seek godly counsel, to seek wisdom when it comes to making a decision. There have been times also where I've relied too quickly on the wisdom of godly men, and I haven't sought the wisdom of God alone. So there's a weakness. So where there's a strength, I'm going to seek godly counsel. Phil, have I, have I spent enough time, have you spent enough time considering God's word, praying, seeking his wisdom and his counsel. And certainly he uses men and his word through all that. I understand that in circumstances. But what about just going straight to him? There have also been times where I just, I just knew what to say. Because the Holy Spirit's prompting. In my weakness, I was given what I needed at that specific moment. But, but, I, but I fear that there may also be times... I know there have been times in my life, and there will be times to come. I fear that there are times when I might waver and lean towards inactivity because I fear of what man may think or what man may say. And because I seek counsel from man, I, I may not propose an issue 
because I'm afraid of what they may say. I hope you see the application. Jonathan didn't wait for man's approval. He went on with the assurance that God was going to provide for him an answer. See, I know that there will be times in our lives where God's call and his answer and his prompting is crystal clear. There will be times when he uses his people to speak truth in our lives. There will be times when he uses his people to provide for us wisdom and direction. There are also going to be times when the Holy Spirit's prompting is so strong that we need not delay. But there will also be times when we simply have to act in faith. Trusting the whole time that God will provide the next step. At just the right time. That's what Jonathan had. He didn't have the blessing of his dad. He didn't have the orders from the general. He had a faith. He had sought God clearly because he knew what the signal would be. And he moved forward. And I wonder if the fear of man or even my own or your own insecurity keeps us from being used or keeps us from serving in the kingdom of God. And it's simply because the thought of something could get a little too messy. The thought of doing something could be a little costly, could be a little risky. It could go against all that I'm used to. But we see in this text that Jonathan was going to do what only he could do. And then he trusted God to do what only God could do. He was willing to be used. An ordinary man willing to be used. So we see God, his strength on full display through using ordinary people, ordinary circumstances. But then I want us to consider the fact that he restrains the extraordinary. I think there's proper credit due to the faith of Jonathan, but let's not overlook the kindness of God in this story. On paper, it wasn't a contest. In human terms, there was no way that two men should be able to defeat 20, but God restrained the enemy or the extraordinary in this situation to the point of victory for the ordinary. So Jonathan did a great thing. He had strong faith. He did what maybe you and I wouldn't be able to do, or we'd like to think we could do it in the moment. But let's not overlook the kindness and the goodness of God in this moment. It's similar to Peter stepping out of the boat. That's fantastic. Strong faith, Peter. Well done. It wasn't Peter that allowed Peter to walk on water. It was the kindness of God. Much like David, little old David, Going to slay Goliath. It wasn't David. I mean, David had some skill, right? He could fling a rock. On paper, it didn't look good for David against Goliath. God's kindness allowed that victory to take place. It's like Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel has no reason to think that he can shut the mouths of lions, but it was God that restrained the mouths of the lions. God restrains the enemy to the point of victory for the ordinary. We see in our text this morning 
God allowed two men to defeat 20. But look ahead in verses 15 through 20. We see mass confusion in the Philistine camp. Verse 15, there was trembling in the camp and in the field and, and all the people. Later on in verse 15, an earthquake caused more confusion. In verse 16, the people begin to melt away and scatter. And then in verse 20, every man's sword was against his fellow and there was great confusion. Jonathan and his armor bearer didn't do that. Right? They, they, they had no control over the earthquake, the panic, or the confusion. But Jonathan and his armor bearer were part of a movement of God that led to victory for the Israelites. We could even say, you know what, okay, maybe they were part of the catalyst, right? They got it going, that's great. But let's stop giving them credit there, right? And turn our attention to the strength of God, the sovereignty of God, the purposes of God, to restrain the extraordinary, to bring victory to the ordinary. Jonathan did what he knew needed to be done. His armor bearer was there for support, and God did the rest. God is always using the ordinary. But let's not forget that at the same time, God is always restraining the extraordinary. God uses us, and at the same time, God restrains the enemy. So that's enough to give us, I think, a little bit of encouragement, a little pep in our step as we move forward in our weakness, knowing that He is strong. And lastly, we see a faith that is victorious. And here's what we know. But had Jonathan never decided to go, had he never, had he never devised a plan and asked God for wisdom and direction, right? Had he never decided to go, he would never have found himself in the strategic place that God guided as he boldly trusted. If we never decide to move, church, we'll never find ourselves in that strategic position as we boldly trust God moving forward in faith. Matthew Henry comments on this, and he says, Providence gave him the sign he expected, and he answered the signal. Providence gave him the sign that he expected, and he answered the signal. Jonathan said, hey, if they say this, then we'll stay. But if they say this, then we will go. In verse 12, he says, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of of Israel. This was the moment that Jonathan knew there was victory. It wasn't when he stood over the 20 that he and his armor bearer had slayed that he understood victory was coming. It was in the strategic place that God put him. And he said, because I'm so tight with God, because I'm so closely connected with him, because my faith is so big, I know this was the moment. And he begins to climb. It wasn't in the battle, it was before the battle that he was assured of victory. There has to be room in our lives to ask God and then to act in faith. I think we're really good at asking, but perhaps we need a little practice in acting. God, would you please do this? God, can you please show up and, 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 and do this? Hey, God, can you use me here? Yeah, 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 I can do it. Because I'm God and I'm strong and you're ordinary and you're weak, I can do it. 
Go. Be a part. See what I'm going to do. Have this mentality of perhaps if I go, God will show up. Because he's not restrained to save by many or by few. I love that even in his bold faith, Jonathan wasn't too presumptuous. In our best translation, we see he says to his armor bearer, perhaps. Like, I can't give you 100% clarity and certainty. I don't know. But perhaps if we do this, God will show up. And here's what he understood. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. See, I think faith is willing to allow God alone to know the plan. And then for us to understand that our part is simply one step at a time. That's what faith is. Allowing God alone to know the plan. And our role in this whole faith journey is to take it one step at a time. An elementary thought, I know, you know that. But perhaps there needs to be a reminder this morning. Let me conclude. We see the goodness and the sovereignty of God on full display in this story. He uses ordinary to accomplish much for his kingdom. And we are reminded today that God is still sovereign. And he will accomplish all that he wants to accomplish with or without us. And our response to God's call affects our outcome. It doesn't affect his outcome. He's going to do what he wants to do. Our response to the call of God affects our outcome. May we be a church willing to respond with boldness and with clarity and with with strong faith. And so I'd ask you this morning, what will your response be today? Like, what if if you had the position that you took, I'm going to do what I can do understanding that I cannot fail. And what would you do if I said, hey, what would you do tomorrow if you knew you could not fail? What would the outcome be of just that knowledge? Let me ask you this way. How will the kingdom of God be impacted by your understanding of that principle? How, how will the kingdom of God be impacted tomorrow because of your actions today? How will your acknowledgement of your weakness and God's strength produce in you a stronger faith today? Because really, that's the gospel. You understand that. That, that's, That's the gospel. The acknowledgement that we are nothing apart from Him. And He is everything, and He provides all that we need. He's made access for us to him through his son, Jesus Christ. I am nothing, I am weak, and yet, God, you are strong. You are everything. And if you don't have a relationship with God this morning, I would encourage you to take care of that today. I'll be standing down front. I would love to talk to you. Some of our other pastors will be here in just a moment. love to talk to you, pray with you. Or perhaps this morning it's just this. You know what? I want today to be the day that I step out in boldness and do what only I can do and trust that God is going to do the rest. Maybe there are men and women in this room who are willing to make that their prayer this morning.
Would you respond boldly to the call that God has placed on your life this morning? God, we thank you so much for an opportunity again this week to consider your word together. Help us now to apply it to our lives. Help us to do all that we can do for you, God, knowing that you have called us, you have equipped us, you've gone before us. Give us wisdom, give us boldness, give us clarity, give us strength in our weakness. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.